C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a ferring company, for their generous support. You can find out more about their microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics, that's R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X, dot com. And it is our great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Dr. Bernard Olay. He is the co-founder and chief executive officer at Vedanta Biosciences. He has also been a member of the founding teams of several companies of the PureTech portfolio and served as a member of the board of directors of Vedanta Biosciences and Folika Biosciences. Dr. Olay joins us today to discuss defined bacterial consortia for prevention of C. difficile infection and recurrences. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Olay. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And Dr. Olay, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm originally from Catalonia. I came to the U.S. to do my graduate study work. I did my PhD at MIT on bacterial fermentation, trying to engineer new ways to grow bacteria faster. And after that, I I worked in creation of biotech companies for a little under a decade. And the last project that I started uh, I fell in love with, which was Vedanta, and, and then I left the previous occupation to focus full-time on on building the Vedanta team. Well, and we are so glad that you did, Dr. Olay. And Dr. Olay, if you wouldn't mind um, taking a moment just to explain to our listeners what exactly a C. difficile infection is. C. difficile is the most common cause of healthcare-associated infections in the U.S., uh, in, in U.S. hospitals. Um, and I guess there's an important difference, differentiation to make. Um, you, can, you can carry the, the organism, Clostridioides difficile. Uh, this is a bacterium that lives in the gut of many people, both healthy and sick. And in healthy people, it can live in the intestine without causing any trouble. Uh, we can refer that as carry. It's just carrying the organism. But then uh, there are factors that can create susceptibility to this organism becoming pathogenic and infecting. For example, uh, the use of antibiotics that are typically taking, uh, taken at the ICU uh, before or after surgeries, during cancer treatment, uh, all of that can predispose to infection. And what was benign carriage then becomes problematic. Uh, and having the infection manifests with inflammation of the colon, which we call colitis. Uh, it manifests with diarrhea, with fever, loss of appetite. I've met some C. difficile patients that, that say they've also experienced or seen their relatives experience delusions and hallucinations. And um, the, this, this information collectively is used to, to actually diagnose an infection with C. difficile. Okay. And Dr. Ali, what is it meant by recurrences? What's meant by recurrence is that after a uh, successful first um, abatement of, of, the, of the infection's uh, first episode, uh, typically by antibiotics, uh, after a period of time, uh, which can vary from a few weeks to several months, or sometimes even just days, the, the infection will return. Uh, either because there are leftover spores of the pathogenic organism in the intestine that were never quite fully cleared by the antibiotic and then come back with a vengeance, or because the patient experiences a reinfection with a different strain of the, um, of the pathogen. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. And Dr. Olay, uh, would you share with the audience what treatments are available uh, today to treat a C. diff infection? 
My understanding is that the most recent uh, guidelines of the Infectious Disease Society of the Amer- of America recommend for an initial episode of C. difficile infection uh, one or two an- one of two antibiotics, either vancomycin or fidaxomycin. The first is generic; the second is not, as a first line treatment. There's a third antibiotic called metronidazole that was traditionally also used uh, for initial episodes, but is becoming recently less so because there's new data that suggests that it may be inferior to the other two. Vancomycin works fairly well for about 80% of the patients that take it the first time around, but for the remaining 20% or so that don't get long-term benefit uh, and relapse, then um, while they may still be treated with antibiotics, they become decreasingly useful. And so for recurrences, today um, still vancomycin and fidaxomycin are being used and they're approved for those uses. But there are other approaches for recurrences that are possible at this time um, since antibiotics are not always very efficacious, although they are investigational in nature, meaning that their safety and efficacy has not yet been proven in clinical trials that follow the standards that the FDA would request from a drug that can be approved for commercial use. And, and one such example of that is fecal transplantation. Fecal transplantation is an experimental procedure that involves either taking an enema uh, formulation of, of, of feces from a donor or a capsule formulation and then uh, providing it to a subject. Um, this is not a, an approach that's been approved, uh, but, it's, but nonetheless it's being used um, under discretionary use uh, in the United States. Exactly. And thank you, Doctor, for explaining that. Um, Dr. O'Leary, what advances do you expect to see in the future in the management of patients with a C. diff infection? There's a lot of work, a lot of work going on that I think um, could very meaningfully change the future management of patients with CDI, but it's still quite not ready for prime time, meaning there isn't a an approach that's approved for use. And I think it falls in, in two, uh, two, two areas. Um, there may be more that I'm not aware, but I'm particularly interested in advancements in diagnosis and advancements in treatment. Um, this, I think there's a lot of work to do to come up with better diagnosis for C. difficile. We may have a chance later today to discuss why this is an amenity in the field, but sufficient to say for now that the, the current methods that are used to diagnose patients with C. difficile infections have limitations that are either too many false positives or too many false negatives, depending on the method that is used. Okay. In that sense, uh, I, uh, while, while this is not being done by us at Vedanta, I'm aware of work, done, work being done by a, a number of academic groups in the United States looking at, at new ways to predict, um, for example, recurrences of C. difficile. Uh, today, the best that we can do is based on the age of a patient and perhaps based on whether they're using proton pump inhibitors or have some kidney disease comorbidities, we can take a guess at how likely they are to experience a recurrence after they have a first episode, but that guess may be right 30 40% of the time. Now, what if we had much better diagnosis where you could be right 95% of the time? I think this is something that may be possible. There's a lot of work being done now looking at much larger data sets from electronic medical records, uh, from analyzing and, and sequencing in-depth microbiome samples from the gut, uh, and using then uh, learning, machine learning tools um, to, to analyze the data and come up with, um, with better predictions that I think could be very useful for the C. difficile field. Uh, for example, there's work done by uh, Tor Savage at Baylor, uh, by Vince Young's team at the uh, University of Michigan uh, in that direction, which I think could be important. In the end, the impact would be if a doctor can look at a patient that had a first episode and, and tell you with more than 90% certainty that they're likely to experience a recurrence, then the course of action that they would take would be, would be different. 
And since recurrence, in my opinion, is the biggest left leftover amenity in the in the city physical field, then that that could be impactful. Thank and then a second thing that a second potential advance that I would expect to see in the future management of patients with CDI um, are are new treatments for recurrences. Uh, I I'm of the opinion that the first episodes are reasonably well served with antibiotics, although there's there's unintended consequences to their use. Uh, but recurrences are not well served. And to, to me, the biggest remaining unmet need in, in CDI is preventing the recurrences, not just, not just serving the multi-recurrence uh, patients that have had three or more recurrences, which have been the focus of many studies, but everyone, everybody that has one, two, three or more recurrences, because if you stop recurrences after the first episode, then you prevent not only the second, but all the future episodes. And so on, in that direction, my view, and, and of course I'm biased because I'm in the microbiome field, but my view is that the approaches involving microbiome interventions stand the best chance of any new experimental drug at curving recurrence. Okay, Dr. Olay, and I thank you so much for sharing all that information. Um, Believe it or not, at this time, we're going to uh, pause for a commercial break and a word from our sponsor. And when we return, we will continue discussing defined bacterial consortia for prevention of a C. difficile infection recurrence with Dr. Olay. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Bernard Olay here today to discuss Defined Bacterial Consortia for Prevention of C. difficile Infection Recurrence. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Olay. Thanks. You're welcome. And Dr. Olay, before the commercial break, you were explaining what a C. difficile infection is to our global listeners. Moving forward, would you mind taking a moment to briefly introduce the human microbiome? Yes. The human microbiome uh, is the, the term we use to describe the community of microbes that lives in association 
with the human body, human understood as a homo sapiens species, because of course, um, the homo sapiens and all these microbes um, are, are, are in many ways um, working as a unit. The, uh, the human body is, is covered uh, in microbes in, in all of its, um, uh, most of its uh, um, uh, mucosal surfaces, the, the, the intestine, is, has a very dense community of microbes, tens of trillions of them. Um, the, the skin is also covered in microbes, uh, the vaginal tract, the oral cavity. Uh, each, each of these communities of microbes is slightly different depending on the environment, but together we, we call them all the human microbiome. And the reason that this area has gotten so much attention in medicine, which is what we do, is that over the last approximately 10 years, there's been a lot of um, academic work and also some industry work, uh, initially largely funded by efforts from the National Institutes of Health starting in 2008 to first map out and chart um, the communities of microbes that live in associations with humans that happen under the rubric of the Human Microbiome Project, largely funded by taxpayer funds. And then since uh, there was a lot of data that emerged that suggested that the microbiome could play a role in a range of human diseases, including immune-mediated diseases, infectious diseases, met metabolic uh, and cardiovascular conditions, more recently in cancer development, uh, CNS conditions. And that spawned many different efforts to then turn this knowledge into either um, new therapeutic approaches, new diagnostic approaches, or just new tools to better understand what, what microbes do. And there's been a very rich community, um, uh, especially in the U.S., although this has become a very global, global field. The U.S. has had a very big contribution in leading this field um, that's put it, in my opinion, all the way at the top of new areas of medicine that, in my opinion, could change how medicine is practiced in the future. Well, thank you, Dr. Olay, for explaining that. And how can new knowledge of the human microbiome be used to develop disease treatments? So at Vedanta, we focus on, on, a, on a section of the knowledge that's been generated to use uh, new disease treatments. Um, but, of course, there's a broader set of approaches that, that can be pursued. Uh, today in the field, um, there are... Uh, myriad different approaches that are being pursued that include um, using fecal transplants or using fractions of fecal transplants as a, as a therapeutic, and that's, that's been in the clinic and it's fairly advanced in clinical studies. Uh, there's the approach that we're following at Vedanta, which I'll describe later in more detail, that involves taking defined consortia bacteria and using uh, those purified clonal organisms as the, uh, as the drug agent. Uh, there are academic efforts and, and industry efforts looking at individual bacteria or individual engineered bacteria as, um, as, as therapeutic modalities, as well as the molecules and metabolites and antigens that they produce. Um, there's even uh, efforts using uh, phages to infect bacteria and thus change the microbiome. Um, there's efforts directed at developing new types of small molecule uh, or mid-sized molecule antibiotics inspired on you know, having a more narrow spectrum effect on, on the microbiota. Uh, but, I, but I think, just to take a step back, the, the wider picture that is emerging is that whether you are working in the microbiome field directly by developing drugs based on microbes or not. Uh, even if you're a pharmaceutical company that's making small molecule protein-based drugs that you think have nothing to do with the microbiome, uh, chances are that many of those agents are modified directly or indirectly by the microbes, uh, in particular by the microbes in the intestine if you take the drugs orally. So I think uh, most, if not all, of the pharmaceutical industry at some point is going to have to pay attention to what are the effects of their drugs, direct or indirect, on the microbiome. 
Okay. Well, Dr. Olay, thank you so much for explaining that to all of us. And um, we want to know, why do you call the medicines that you develop defined consortia? Sure. So, um, by defined, what we mean is that our product always has the exact same composition of bacteria. They are what we call clonal, uh, which means you know, we, have, we have a pure vial that we use to start each production run, which at the end of the run yields a product that has the exact same composition. That's a fundamental difference from what's been done in the field with fecal transplants or, or fecal transplant-related approaches, which are not products in the sense that, that they have a known composition. In fact, they don't have a known composition. The 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 procedures where the specific steps to obtain the feces from a donor, process it, and then put it in an NMR capsule are standardized, but the composition is going to change every time that you sample from a different donor. We remove that variability by always using the exact same bacteria and producing them by fermentation techniques, which cuts the human out of the equation in terms of sourcing material and also gives us an, an unlimited supply that can be scaled up to, to supply um, global markets if, if, if the drugs that we're working on uh, are approved. That's why we call them defined. And, and the reason we call them consortia uh, is that the active agents in the medicines that we develop are not individual bacteria, but actually teams of bacteria that work together towards accomplishing a specific function. Uh, and, and that's the, 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 the meaning, of the, the use of the word consortia is, is deliberate here, because of course you could call them mixes or, or cocktails or, uh, or other, other words that imply multiple ingredients. But the word consortia has the implication that these groups of bacteria are working together towards a certain function. And so, for example, uh, for, our, uh, for the medicine that we're developing for patients that, uh, that have CD facial infections, uh, we've selected rationally a group of defined bacteria based on their ability to outcompete C. difficile together as a group. Amazing. That's wonderful. And thank you so much for explaining that, doctor. And so we would you mind explaining what is the key difference between what you are developing and other companies have developed with microbiome products, for example, the fecal transplants? Yes, so I think the fundamental difference is, is standardized product versus standardized process. Uh, uh, fecal transplant or, or related approaches attempt to standardize the steps of taking feces from a donor, filtering them, putting them in an MRR capsule, and then freezing and supplying to, to the patient. But they cannot standardize the composition. Every donation is a different drug, even if you get it from, a different, from the same donor that's going to have a different composition. Uh, so you have this uncharacterized gamish of trillions of bacteria, some beneficial, some potentially pathogenic, some carrying genes that can confer antibiotic resistance and virulence when transferred to, the, to other organisms in the gut flora, as well as trillions of viruses, fungi, uh, and again, some beneficial, some potentially pathogenic. We wanted to take all this variability out of the equation and have a standardized composition made from clonal cells that only include bacteria that we believe directly contribute to our competing C. difficile. And in, in taking the donor out of the equation and working directly with clonal bacteria, one thing that we can do um, related to safety is ensure that none of these bacteria that are included in the drug carry any antibiotic resistance gene or virulence gene in their genome that could be transferred to other bacteria in the gut. So we have this degree of freedom to control for that safety characteristic of the composition. Um, and of course, if we find a bacteria that has these types of, of, of genes of concern, we can exclude it and not include it in, in, in the composition. So we can do a rational selection uh, of bugs that we believe can be safe in the, con- in the clinical context that we want to use them and that we know uh, separately have the ability to outcompete uh, CDI, Clostridium uh, difficile, um, as well as always give them at the same dose. 
if you can produ- produce a product the way we do it, it following uh, certain GMP standards and always starting from the same from the same bank, uh, you can guarantee that not only you always have the same composition of the drug, but also the same dose. So that's another source of variability that we're taking out of the equation. Exactly. Very good information. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Dr. Olay, before we go to break, we have about two minutes before we go to break. Can you briefly explain the main challenges it is to developing medicine based on defined consortia? First, you have to access the bacteria and choose the right ones, um, ideally in a rational manner. So we've had to develop large libraries of bacteria uh, and find a way to organize these bacteria in screening systems so that we can understand what pharmacology, pharmacological properties do they have that could be useful um, if they were to be included in a drug. Second, we have to know how to find the right combination of bacteria, who, who are the right dancing partners, which bacteria like to work with, each, with, with another one. Uh, and so we've collected large data sets from interventional clinical studies and also developed bioinformatic algorithms to be able to predict what may be good combinations and, and also what may be useless combinations. And third, and most important in my opinion, uh, manufacturing. Uh, each of our products has multiple active ingredients. Some of them are anaerobic. They die if they see oxygen. Some of them form spores. They're genetically diverse. So we couldn't find any contract manufacturer organization that knew how to manufacture a product that complex and as a result, we had to build our own in-house facilities for manufacturing defined consortia. To date, we've shown that we can manufacture drug of the right quality for phase one and phase two studies. And we've just started working with the Gates Foundation to scale our approach to demonstrate um, our ability to produce the same quality product at phase three and, and for a potential commercial launch. Okay. Well, Dr. Olay, thank you so much for sharing that and for discussing the microbiome and the research and development taking place in this area and the differences um, in developing the um, consortium and defined consortia. At this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing defined bacterial consortia for prevention of C. difficile infection recurrence with Dr. Bernard Olay. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Rebiotics, a fairing pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you. 
You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone. It's a great pleasure to reintroduce our guest today, Dr. Bernard Olay, joining us to discuss defined bacterial consortia for prevention of C. diff infection recurrence. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Olay. Thanks, Nancy. You're welcome. Um, Dr. Olay, uh, would you mind explaining what the main challenges are in developing new medicines to treat a C. diff infection? Sure. My view is uh, one key challenge is diagnosis. The ISDA recommends uh, as the best performing method um, to, to diagnose the condition to do a stool toxin test as part of a multi-step algorithm uh, rather than using PCR alone for diagnosis. In practice, however, there's still much debate in the field regarding what is the right way to diagnose a patient. There isn't a universal standard of care that all institutions agree on, and each institution uses what they like best. Uh, in fact, some of the institutions that use toxin testing don't do it because they truly believe it's the best approach, but more so because it has less false positives and also more false negatives, actually, and, and that reduces their potential penalties to the hospital um, for for infections in the hospital. In that context, doing a clinical trial has the added challenge of needing to provide enough flexibility to the different centers that participate rather than forcing them to use a specific diagnostic approach that is not the standard of care of that institution. I think a second uh, challenge today is the for clinical studies in the field. Uh, specifically clinical studies directed towards seeking an FDA approval for, for a commercial drug, is the widespread use of unapproved fecal transplantation in the U.S. that's done without IND. There are several industry sponsors that, that have reported this as being an issue that made it more difficult to recruit for clinical studies. Uh, Specifically, use of unapproved uh, fecal transplantation is done large, largely outside the purview of uh, INDs with the FDA, which means that the agency has no oversight on them. They have no way to require that safety data is properly collected, etc. and as a result, there is very little safety data that is actually being collected. In contrast, studies that are done under IND uh, they are done under FDA oversight, and, and if they are for the purpose of, of a registration to commercialize a product, then uh, at some point they'll have to have a component of, of having one study that is blinded and placebo-controlled, uh, and then safety data has to be painstakingly collected. And that last comment, the, the placebo-controlled, this is an added hurdle uh, to patients for signing up for studies. Um, but like it or not, it, it is the best method that as a field, we've been able to come up with uh, as, a, as a discipline to test whether an investigational drug really works or not. Um, so today, there's lots of promise with fecal transplantation, and one day, it may get a, a formal FDA approval for commercialization. But until that day, um, you know, it's a little reckless to be touting the approach as, as safe and efficacious without a shadow of a doubt, uh, as it's being done actually extensively in the media. In the media. Uh, without the hard proof per the standards that the FDA would consider sufficient that demonstrate that safety as well as efficacy with the right placebo controls is proven. And so this is something that I feel I think we need to internalize and, and act accordingly. Absolutely, Dr. Olay. We uh, completely understand your words and seriously appreciate you um, giving that explanation uh, for the clinical studies and safety data. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, and Dr. Olay, what is the unmet need that Vedanta is trying to meet with the new type of drugs that are, you're developing for C. difficile infections? Patients that experience the first episode of, of CDI are generally well served, uh, all things considered. Vanco works for 80% of them, um, but this antibiotic use comes at the cost of leaving the patient susceptible to recurrences, as, as you and I discussed before. Uh, in this post-antibiotic phase, the gut is a a barren environment with a, with a very low density of bacteria. And in that environment, any leftover spores of C. difficile 
find little to no competition to germinate and thrive, and then produce a toxin that damages the, the gut wall. So it's this critical window of susceptibility that we're trying to shut down as fast as possible by repopulating the gut with a core group of defined bacteria that have the ability to outcompete C-difficile and allow the, the host to return to homeostasis after an antibiotic has been used for, for treating the episode. This is the start, uh, and, and, and I think the more tangible benefit to the patient. Uh, but by serving this need, uh, however, then we think that we can benefit also the healthcare system. Uh, there's two large issues with, with antibiotic use. First one is controlling the spread of antibiotic resistance, and the second one is reducing transmission, for example, reducing transmission of C. difficile and also other drug-resistant organisms in hospitals. And the issue with antibiotics is they apply an extreme selective pressure, and the bacteria that survive that can be pathogenic organisms that are very hardy and difficult to get rid of, uh, and that don't respond even to antibiotics of last resort. And these ones are a big problem, because when the last resort antibiotic fails, then the doctor can't do anything to save the patient that has bacteremia or sepsis. So we need to, to ration the use of antibiotics. That's what's called stewardship. And I think the uh, use of investigational therapies like V303, where they're shown to be safe and efficacious, could help reduce the use of antibiotics and, by extension, the spread of resistance. Um, and, uh, and there's evidence of that from clinical studies of, of this type of modality. And finally... I think another unmet need is reduction of transmission. The, the intestine is the natural reservoir of C. difficile uh, and other uh, drug-resistant and, and multiple drug-resistant organisms. If you could go around a hospital with, with uh, special goggle, uh, goggles and, and that showed you where the microbes are, you'd see that by far highest concentrations are in, in the guts of sick patients. And for the, from there, they can spread to other patients that are not yet infected, but, but that may be vulnerable and in the hospital. So we think that by lowering carriage, by, by getting rid of, of these organisms in the gut of a patient, we can also lower transmission to another patient in that same hospital. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Lay. And before you were sharing information about the clinical trials, and would you mind sharing with our, our audience on how can individuals volunteer to be part of a clinical trial? First, um, you can look for options. You can do, if, if you're interested in a study specifically in C. difficile, you can do a search for C. difficile studies or ask your doctor uh, and then talk to your doctor about any trial that she knows about that may be right for, for your type of, of C. difficile. Um, so, for example, if you just go to Google and, and search clinical studies in C. difficile, you should find a few, a few hits. Second, um, you, you have to review the eligibility criteria. Not every trial may be right for you, and then the doctor can tri- triage the volunteers for participation based on criteria that state who is an appropriate participant. And things like age, um, the number of recurrences that you've experienced, or the use of other drugs may, may be a factor. Third, you want to contact the study personnel and set up an appointment uh, with a participating doctor to review with them the study. The, the doctor will describe the, the study uh, and what, what measures the study involves, how they will, what measures they will take to protect your health. Uh, and at this time, you should definitely come ready with, with a list of questions for the doctor and ask them everything that you feel you need to know. And then as a last step, you have to read and understand the informed consent, and, and this, this is the document where you should learn about uh, the benefits that you may derive from participating in the study, as well as all the risks, and how your private data will be handled. And then if after reading that consent, you still want to participate, then you sign the consent, and then you move into the screening step of the study and, and you know, go, go technically into the study. Okay. And Dr. Olay, is it possible for patients uh, diagnosed with a C. diff infection to participate in a clinical trial? Absolutely. There's, there's trials going on all over the world. Uh, most of them are actually in the, in, in the United States. Uh, if you just go to Google and run a search for C. difficile in clinical study, you'll see a list of options pop up, or you can, or you can ask your doctor for options. You can also go to clinicaltrial.gov, and, and that has a list of all the studies going on in the U.S., among other, among other options. 
Okay, and Doctor, where can our global listeners learn more about the Vedanta Biosciences clinical trials? So Vedanta is is now uh, recruiting subjects for an ongoing phase two study uh, that is going on in multiple sites across the U.S. and Canada. Um, before that study, we conducted a phase one study in healthy volunteers to study the safety um, of the drug. If you go to our website, which is www.vedantabio.com, you can read there about our consortium study. That's, that's what we call uh, the, the phase two study. It's called the consortium study. Um, and from there, you can follow the steps to, um, to learn about the study and potentially sign up. Uh, to our knowledge, this is the first phase two study that's being done with a defined bacterial consortium drug i.e. Not a, not a fecal or a fecal-derived, I'm sorry, a, a fecal transplantation-related uh, type of procedure for recurrency difficile. And uh, as I mentioned, this trial is recruiting uh, right now. Okay, wonderful. And um, Dr. Ole, would you mind just explaining to the listeners um, once more about maybe other clinical trials you have going on besides C. difficile? Sure. So, so we're um, we're pursuing the modality of using medicines um, based on defined consortia of bacteria to attempt to serve a number of patient needs um, uh, that that go beyond infectious disease. So, in infectious disease, we have a particular interest in in Clostridium difficile infections. Uh, but there's other areas where the role of the microbiome uh, is very interesting, and it seems to be potentially causative or, or playing a key role in driving the disease. Uh, and so we have two, two other programs in the clinic. Uh, one uh, is a study that we're running at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Uh, actually, the, the, the Dr. Wayne Treffler is running at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston for adults and teenagers that have peanut allergies. So this is a consortium of bacteria uh, that's been developed with the intention of helping subjects tolerate uh, certain food antigens. We also have a study... Uh, ongoing in inflammatory bowel diseases in Europe in partnership with Johnson & Johnson. And then later this year, we plan to start a study in in three types of cancer with another one of our our defined consortia. Uh, So we're trying to apply the, the modality to a number of different patient needs. And that's wonderful, Dr. Ole. We really appreciate all the work going into all of these um, infections and diseases that uh, individuals are dealing with at this time. And we thank you for discussing the challenges in developing the new medicines and for explaining clinical trials to our global listeners. At this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing defined bacterial consortia for prevention of C. C difficile infection recurrence with Dr. Burnett Bernard Olay. And please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. 
Rebiotics, a Faring Pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Bernard Olay. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Olay. Thanks. You're welcome. And we've been discussing defined bacterial consortia for prevention of C. difficile infection recurrence. We've learned a great deal uh, about you and Vedanta Biosciences from uh, your conversation today, and we thank you for joining us. And, Doctor, would you take this opportunity to share the contact information with our listeners? Uh, sure. So, so um, there's two addresses that I want to uh, pass along to listeners um, the first one is the website of Vedanta, where you can go and get all the information on our ongoing consortium study, uh, which is www.vedantabio.com. Uh, and also, uh, for direct inquiries on uh, potential participation in the study, uh, can be directed to the, email, the following email address, which is consortium02-cityinquiries at vedantabio.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that information. And Dr. Light, what are some of the key points you'd like our listeners to take away with them from this program today? I'd like to to leave the the listeners with um, uh, my view that I, I think there's very high impact science that is being done in the microbiome field. Uh, a lot of a lot of this coming out of of the U.S suggesting critical roles in health uh, of the microbial community that we live with. And there's also reason to believe that manipulating the microbiome can be useful uh, to treat and prevent human disease, uh, largely based on clinical experience with using fecal transplantation-based approaches. I also think that uh, as a field... Uh, someday we ought to be able to do better than just giving feces to people uh, as a drug. And that's what we're working on, trying to come up with second-generation, more um, refined, science-oriented approaches to, um, um, to helping treat patients by changing their, their gut microbiota. Okay. And, Doctor, do you have any closing comments you'd like to share with our audience before we close the program today? Well, it, it takes a village to develop new medicines, uh, and we at Vedanta appreciate the work that the C. difficile Foundation is doing to educate and advocate for the prevention and treatment of, of CDI, and, and we also want to send our appreciation to all the research partners that have helped with uh, the advancement and the development of our, of our drug candidate, as well as all the clinical sites that are participating and all the, all the patients that are uh, that have volunteered um, to participate in the study as well. Wonderful. And uh, also, doctor, would you take a moment, um, we have some time, 
to explain to our listeners about the scientific leaders in the fields of immunology and microbiome and for the designing medicines based on consortia of human commensal bacteria to treat the diseases and insights from micro, m- microbial ecology. Um, where did that uh, originate from? So when, when we founded Vedanta, uh, we did so with a group of immunologists in the U.S. and Canada and Japan that have done very good work, in my opinion, to help understand and explain how the immune system senses microbes in our intestine. And we think that knowledge is essential to develop medicines that, um, that are used for a range of, of immune-mediated and infectious diseases. And uh, our focus in the company has been to borrow from the fields of microbial and, uh, ecology to understand how communities of bacteria work and borrow from the fields of immunology to understand how these communities talk, cross-talk uh, with the host, uh, to use then this knowledge to come up with a new type of, type of drugs that are based on using communities of bacteria or controversial bacteria that then manipulate uh, the immune response of humans. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Olang, we wanted to say thank you again for joining us today on C. diff spores and more, and we're so grateful for Fidanta Biosciences for your, your research, and we thank you for making a difference in global health. And you know that we look forward to having you back really soon for the um, sharing the amazing work that you and your colleagues are doing. So we say thank you very much. Thanks, Nancy. You're welcome. And at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe who are dedicated in improving health with the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products, addressing C. diff infection prevention, treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infections and recurrent C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress, actively enrolling, and how you and your loved ones may be able to take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. Please help them to help you to help others. We thank Pfizer for being a diamond sponsor of the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo, being held on November 6th and 7th at the Doubletree Westport Hotel by Hilton in St. Louis, Missouri. We are grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference, and we would also like to take the opportunity to thank the corporate sponsors and industry leaders in the C. diff community who are joining us at the two-day event to provide information focused on healthcare-acquired infection prevention through presentations and scientific posters, which will be on display during the conference. Join us on November 6th and 7th and learn more about a leading healthcare-acquired infection, Clostridium difficile, also known as C. difficile prevention treatments, diagnostics, research, clinical trials, and the environmental safety safety products being uh, keeping the environment safer, safer worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website. We look forward to learning more together with you in November. We send out our get well wishes to all of the patients being treated and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this together. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.